take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. While you're turning there, our intent by God's grace is to continue in the epistles of Peter. But for a few weeks, there are a few other texts that we will consider. This morning, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the living God. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the multitude of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we pray by the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may receive this word, that we may be encouraged and nourished, that your church may be edified. Help us, O Lord, we pray, and may the preaching of the word of Christ be the word of Christ to the covenant people of Christ this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk with you today about the crucial task of serving tables. I know that that task does not sound very weighty. It doesn't sound like a task that is all that crucial. If you ask the average Christian, what would you like to do for Christ? What would you like to be for Christ? Most perhaps wouldn't think in their mind, well, I want to serve tables in Jesus' name. But early in the book of Acts, we see the theme of the gospel spreading. And as the gospel is spreading, the word of Christ is spreading, there became a need for a crucial task. And that task was table serving. I want us to look at the book of Acts for just a moment to get our bearings straight and then particularly look at this text of Scripture this morning. Boys and girls, when we read the Bible, it's important for us to remember that the verses that we read come in larger sections, paragraphs. Many of you may have talked with mom or dad or a school teacher about context. We want to understand how to read the Bible well. And so one of the things that we need to remember is that we don't just read single verses by themselves. We read them in the chapters that they're in, but many times we are aided by asking ourselves the question, what does this whole book of the Bible speak to? Well, let me just give you that for a moment. 
Acts is one of those books that comes with a theme verse at the beginning. It kind of helps us to understand the entire book. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, there we read this so-called theme verse. Now many of us grew up looking at this verse, sort of as a verse about missions, and it is. But I think the writer of Acts, Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually telling us how the book is going to unfold. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is Jesus saying to his disciples after his resurrection and shortly before his ascension what their marching orders are going to be. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be witnesses for me. And notice what he says. In Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now, if you read the book of Acts, you will notice that the gospel spreads throughout the book. The church spreads throughout the book. How does it spread? Well, it starts in Jerusalem, and then if you keep reading, it moves to Judea. And then if you keep reading, Samaria, those people hated by the Jews, hear the gospel. And the church spreads among them. And how does the book of Acts end? Well, the book of Acts ends with Paul (laughs) preaching where? The uttermost parts of the earth as it related to that time. Rome, unhindered. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is a pattern for the book. We move to chapter 6 verse 7 and we get this pattern over and over and over again. Here, and we'll talk about it, because of the setting apart of table servers. Notice what happens in verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Just to make sure we're all together on the same page, turn to chapter 9. You see the same thing there. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Judea, And Samaria, what happens? Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is a verse about missions, but it's also the pattern and theme of this book. This is how Acts will unfold. So, continue all the way to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse 20. Acts chapter 19 and verse 20. What do we read there? The gospel has gone to Ephesus. Now, if you know anything about geography, Ephesus is a little bit of a stone's throw from Jerusalem and Judea. Now, the gospel is spreading to largely Gentile peoples. Boys and girls, that's non-Jewish people. These aren't the people who had the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the people who were pagans. They worshipped many gods, and now they're coming to Christ. And look what happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. 
And again, we won't turn there, but if you go to the very last chapter, Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, Paul is preaching unhindered in Rome, the capital of the world in the first century. This helps us because we see in our chapter, just like in many of these chapters, a discussion of the spread of the word. That becomes the theme of the book of Acts. Yes, it's the growth of the church. Yes, it's wonderful stories of the gospel going forward. But the word being preached unhindered and moving from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world becomes the theme. And what happens in Acts chapter 6? With this background in view, verse 7 says, Then the word of God spread. Now what is the then there for? Well, the then is there because what has just happened in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 is that a great issue arose and seven table servers were chosen. The church sought by the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit to set apart table servers. They get another name in another book of the Bible. They're called deacons. And because of the work of deacons, humanly speaking, we read in verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. You ever think about deacon ministry being one focused ministry of serving the practical needs of the body so that the word will go forward? Well, some may say the word deacon is not used in this passage, at least in English. Is this really about the first deacons? Well, in verse 1, the Greek word diakonia sounds like our word deacon is used. In verse 2, it's used. In verse 4, it's used. We have to be careful saying that if a word doesn't show up in a text, it doesn't speak to that issue, right? This is the first instance we have where another office, the office of deacon, is referenced in Scripture. And don't lose sight of the crucial weight of this reality. Then the word of God spread. If you are interested in the word of God spreading through local churches all across this globe, you will be interested in what Christ has ordained for his church. One of those things is the office of deacon. So let's look at our text today, and I want us to just consider three things as we walk through these seven verses. The first thing is the primary goal. We've already seen it, really, in our context, our brief walk through the book of Acts, but the primary goal is the spread of the word of Christ. Notice verse 1. Now, in those days, this, this is the days of the early church, The first few years after the ascension of Christ, the church has spread, Pentecost has happened, thousands have come to Christ, the Spirit has fallen, empowering the church. It's in these days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. Imagine that. (laughs) Church growth, and there are complaints. Well... The church is multiplying. And what is the complaint? Well, there are two particular groups of individuals, and they're both Jewish at this point. The Hebrews, 
the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and the Hellenists, those would have been Greek-speaking Jews. They're all Jewish, but some have grown up in regions further away from Jerusalem and Judea, and so they speak the larger language of the world at that time, Greek. And there were oftentimes, as you can imagine, fights between these two individuals. Dislike, partiality, if you will. And so what's the complaint? Well, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews, that is, the Hebrew-speaking Jewish believers, and the Hellenists. The Hellenists are saying, our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of bread. You see, in the early church, the church would care for the needs of widows, And oftentimes, this ministry involved serving food, perhaps even at provided tables. So now there's a complaint. You cannot imagine the spirit of unity that was occurring in Acts chapter 6. Signs and wonders are being done by the apostles. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, we read this idea of awe falling on everyone. People are coming to Christ in droves. I don't know that you could get a more unified church. But now there's a concern. Now there's a complaint. Our widows are being neglected. And not all the widows are being neglected. Ours are. So the numbers increase, and therefore, the challenges come. Now, Judaism as a whole, scholars would argue, in this time, ministered poor baskets to much, if not all, of Jewish society. But now you have this group of Jewish individuals who are claiming that they know the Messiah. Our Messiah has come. And so even though they still have some kind of fellowship with non-believing Jews, they're sort of becoming outcasts. And so the church is now caring for the widows. They don't have family. They're caring for the widows. But a group of widows is being neglected. So what happens next? Look at verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. So they, they gather the Christians together and say... It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, you might hear that and you might think, well, these are very proud men. We're too good to serve tables. That's not at all what they're saying. If anything, you ought to read this verse as, we are too finite to do both. But both need to be done. Don't read this as men who are too good to stoop and serve a practical need. The apostles would do it. Later, the elders would do it. But that's not their chief responsibility. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We need to feed you and these widows with the word of Christ. We need another band of men to do what? To feed these widows physical food. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Now, we can 
guess why the number seven. Some scholars would argue it's just how many they thought they needed for this particular group. Some people may say, well, it has to do with the symbolism of the number of seven. I don't, I don't think we have to really get into the number seven. We're just told seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A couple of notes as we consider the primary goal, the spreading of the word of God. Firstly, notice in verse 2 that they summoned the multitude of the disciples. The apostles went to the church, and we're not given all the details, but the whole church had a hand in selecting the deacons, these table servers. And notice in verse 3, the apostles appointed, and the church as a whole was involved. And then, Hands were laid upon these deacons, and they were publicly set apart. In our particular congregation, the way that we understand this to be done is that our entire congregation has a hand in selecting deacons. Our elders nominate potential deacons to the body, but it is the congregation as a whole, every member of this church that has a hand in voting we together come and say, is this person going to be a recognized table servant among us, a deacon? But again, in verse 2, don't miss this phrase, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God. The need must be met. It's important. But it cannot supplant the ministry of the word. And the apostles and, and later the elders will not be able to do it all. So we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, a lot could be said here about apostles, but later elders. Do you consider the job description of an elder or pastor to be that of continually giving himself to prayer and the ministry of the word? Because that's the reason given why other men are needed. It's not that material needs aren't important. It's just that we cannot stop the study and teaching and proclamation and counseling from the Word. That's the primary goal. Brothers and sisters, I don't think I have to press this too far in our congregation, but how many of us have come from other churches, other ministry models, maybe you're here looking for a church, and, and, and even at seasons in your own life, if, if you were to be asked, what is the ministry of the church You may not say, well, I need a church where there are godly men who are elders who are devoting themselves to prayer in the ministry of the word, and I need a church with deacons who seek to minister to the needs of the body as we publicly gather week in and week out. Because that's the church in the book of Acts. The primary goal is the spreading of the word. And deacons are crucial in it. But secondly, I want us to see a second office. A second office. Notice in verse 3. Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The qualifications are given here. A longer list is given in 1 Timothy 3. What are the qualifications? Well, Good reputation. 
Some translations would just render it men of reputation. They don't have a bad reputation. And people know them well enough to know their reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, full of the Holy Spirit, I think we need to chiefly understand as true blood-bought believers who are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. These are men who are gripped by the gospel. They have changed lives because of Christ and Christ alone. But notice, secondly, men of wisdom. Why wisdom? Why use the word wisdom? Because the way that these deacons would make choices and how they would serve would greatly affect the church of Jesus Christ. Because what has arisen that has caused the need for there to be deacons in the early church in Jerusalem? A complaint between two peoples. Can you imagine the difficulty of trying to navigate? How do we help? How do we comfort? How do we calm hurt feelings? How do we make sure that justice, biblical justice that is, is done here? How do we make sure that partiality doesn't have a a stand in how we serve? When we say that these men were servers of tables, we don't mean we just got to get a few people to make sure some bread's on the table. No, 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 no. We need people who are full of the Spirit and who have wisdom, the Apostle said. Because this is going to be a very difficult task. You're going to be in the trenches dealing with difficult people. And by difficult people, I mean saints on the way to glory. That's us. (laughs) That's me. So they have to have wisdom. You see, both of the offices of Christ's church are in a sense spiritual offices. We don't have godly men who preach and some people who just make sure that everybody has cups and forks and knives and the widows are fed. But both offices require a person who is full of the Spirit and has wisdom and one who has a reputation that is known in the case of these deacons. So, if you were to read the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, you would see some startling notes. Just turn there with me for a moment. 1 Timothy 3. Later, Paul would tell his protege in the ministry, Timothy, these are the qualifications that the Holy Spirit has given for the officers of Christ's church, elders or pastors and deacons. Notice verse 8. Likewise, The word likewise is there because Paul has just finished talking about the other office, elders. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own household well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
And we don't get that long list in Acts chapter 6, do we? But how were these early Christians to know if someone was wise? How was someone known as being full of wisdom? Well, do they make wise decisions? Are they stable? Are they settled? Are their homes in order? It'd be very difficult to seek to care for widows and to navigate wisely all of the challenges in helping to heal this complaint if one's own house was a mess. So even though we are to not be people who are walking around judging the fruits of others all of the time, in the case of elders and in the case of deacons, the church is told, look at their lives. If you don't see the kind of fruit in this case with these deacons, if you don't see the kind of wise living, it doesn't mean that this person will never be in this role, but now is not the time. So we have a primary goal, the spread of the word, and a second office, deacons. Now, by God's grace, we have been served by many wonderful deacons over the years, even in years before any of us came to this congregation. And we are in a season here in our church of growth, To my knowledge, no one is complaining about widows not getting bread. But we are in a season of growth. And and, and for that, could we just stop for a moment and say that to the extent that it is Holy Spirit-wrought growth, we praise the living God. Some of you remember years ago, where there wasn't a single child, really, to fuss in the middle of the service. And I think if you would ask us then, could we do with a little bit of fussing in the service? We would have welcomed it. (laughs) And now look around, brothers and sisters. We have families, parents, and even grandparents, children flooding this place. Some of you have been praying for baptisms. Baptisms are occurring We are a church concerned with doctrine. We have many who are reading deeply doctrine. And yet, what else do we have? We have people who come to us who don't know anything about the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. They just know because they've recently been told that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. So by God's grace, to the extent that any of this growth is not man-made growth, but spirit-wrought growth, we ought to rejoice. But such growth does come with the need for more help. We are seeking to increase how we use deacons and recognize them in line with what we see in this text, but in our confession of faith. Thus, even though we have had men and women recognized as deacons in the past, We will continue forward, the elders that is, with nominating men only to the body, given our intent is now to publicly lay hands on them. Women will still continue to serve in the same ways they have in the past. 
And we have been so benefited from all that they have done. You'll continue to see women noted as coordinators or point persons in various ways through the years. But we will simply seek to nominate and give to the body the opportunity to publicly set apart men to assist in one of the two offices of Christ's church here at Grace Baptist Chapel. And I want to encourage you to be praying over the next few weeks and months as this congregation may be tasked with considering the nomination of new and further table servers, otherwise known as deacons. Notice that the expectation was that the members of the body knew each other well. That when these men were chosen from the body, it was because their lives were known. And notice, even though the chief role of the deacon was not necessarily to be one proclaiming the word of Christ, notice just a couple of these names. It's interesting, some scholars debate their names. Some say they're all Greek-speaking names. So it's possible that under the movement of the Spirit, the church actually chose men who had a background similar to those who were offended. Other scholars say it's hard to tell because names were chosen in the larger culture in a, in a way that may or may not have meant that they were largely Greek-speaking Jews. But let's look at a couple of them. Stephen. When you think about choosing deacons, do you think we need people who have, a chapter or two later after they are set apart are willing to die for Jesus? Because the first martyr of the church was the first man listed as being set apart as a, as a deacon. For one chapter later, this deacon, this table servant, would be the first martyr for the sake of the gospel. Boys and girls, later this afternoon or this week, you can read of it in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Stephen dies for Jesus. Or how about Philip? After Stephen's death, another one of these deacons, Philip the evangelist, has this miraculous, almost transporting kind of story. He would spend himself in spreading the word of the gospel to the nations. Some of the most interesting words in all of the New Testament are on the tongue of Philip. Do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian eunuch. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And there's this glorious evangelistic opportunity. Another nation has a blood-bought believer named among them. These are deacons. <laughs> Let us never look down upon the deacons as only those who do trivial tasks. Remember, remember, remember Acts 6 verse 7. Then, after the selection of these men, after the mind of Christ was known as the congregation came together, then the word of God spread. So in verse 5 we read this. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Now think of this, beloved Think of the major problem that this issue could have caused in the church. I mean, you have two factions of widows 
Thus you have other individuals who have very emotionally driven ties to their particular widows. Humanly speaking, this was the first crisis in the Christian church. And but by the grace of God, it could have gone very badly. I hesitate to think what would happen if this complaint arose in evangelical America in the 21st century. I'm not listening to the authority of these deacons. Yes, but I am so wounded, I can't get over the fact that so-and-so treated me this way. Well, the congregation voted for them, but I'm not going to follow them. (laughs) You you know? You, You ever heard these kinds of things in 21st century American evangelicalism? Where we treat the Bible like it's the Constitution of the United States. The mind of Christ is known among the congregation and the problem is solved and unity develops and what, what is the goal? What is the outcome? Well, the word goes forward. This is helpful for us. You know, we read this and we think, well, I'm not called to be a deacon, so this text is really for those folks. But this text, like all texts, is for the church. Christ has given to the church that you love, but that he loves more two offices. You want to know the mind of Christ for us, elders and deacons doing what they should be doing? What's the ultimate goal? Elders studying and preaching, deacons serving and supporting so that the word of Christ is multiplied. So a question, perhaps many, how can I support the ministry of the word here? Well, you can sit under it, you can value it, You can make sure that any priorities you have are always secondary to what the Bible says is the chief means of discipleship, public worship. I mean, just think about your Bible over and over and over and over. What's the plan for Christian discipleship? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Sit at the Lord's table. Hear the word preached. That's the primary means of discipleship. Are there ways that I can serve the body as a member so that the word is increasingly central? Here's one perhaps for all of us to consider. If I have a conflict in this body, if I have a, to use the word of Acts 6, if I have a complaint, do I seek to make sure the ministry of the word is not damaged because of it? I think we forget that one of two offices in Christ's church was an office bent on forging unity as material needs were met so that the name of Christ would be spread. So we've seen a a primary goal and a second office. Let's close with what we see in verse 7. And that is a thriving church. Again, look at verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. God used these lead servants, these table servers, these deacons to empower service, and he grew the church. And I have to encourage you to consider 
that part of what led to this is that the congregation chose to recognize those that the apostles laid their hands on. Who did the apostles lay their hands on? Those that the whole body had a hand in choosing. And they said, just like we saw with elders a few weeks ago, they said to themselves, we're, we're going to follow these people. They're, they're going to solve this issue for us. Some of them might have thought, we don't know, it's difficult and it's probably not helpful to speculate, but, but some of them might have said, well, I would do it differently. And, that, and that's okay. Having the thought that you might do something differently and submitting to the offices that the church of Christ has given to his church are not at odds. It's really okay to think there's more than one way to paint a wall or serve a table or fix a toilet. (laughs) But at the end of the day, by the Spirit, the, the church is all pleased and they're moving forward. We do live in a very individualistic society in our country and I'm not in any way saying our country is bad. But in the West... We increasingly have a hard time with the idea that there actually is authority. The church spread because the apostles, later the elders, were doing what Christ asked them to do. And the deacons were free to do what Christ, by the mind of his church, were called to do. So perhaps even consider that. Like, who are the deacons of our church? And if they are seeking to do something, am I supportive? Or or am am I a thorn in their side? If, if If they're seeking to serve, am I helpful? Or do I make their task a burden? Notice the last phrase. We're given specific details. The word of God spread... And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. (laughs) Now, I I don't think that we're able to fully wrap our minds around what that means. That means that at this time in Jerusalem, there were thousands of lower-class priests among Judaism, and they would be serving in various rotations. So, So think... Important people in a variety of classes in Judaism. Most of whom were bent, like the Apostle Paul was, on the destruction of the name Jesus or Yeshua. And they are coming to Christ. And isn't it glorious that the place where we read the fact that Jewish priests were coming to Christ, where that occurs is right after the church sets apart deacons. (laughs) It's like Luke is saying over and over and over again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the word of God will spread. The word of God will spread. The word of God will spread. And if you're reading this for the first time, maybe you've never read the Bible and you get to Acts chapter 5, you are full of encouragement. You're thinking, yes, Christ has ascended. He's empowered his church. The spirit has fallen. Unity is happening. Then you get to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, and you are thinking to yourself, humanly that is, oh, this isn't going to be good. (laughs) And very quickly, what happens? Very quickly, there is miraculous, it seems, unity because seven men 
are set apart to serve and meet the needs of the body so that other men can continue to devote themselves to prayer and the preaching and study and counseling from of the word. It's a glorious reality. Priests were coming to Christ. I don't want to be overly exaggerative, but, but this, this would be in some way like saying in our culture, the, the people that we least think are going to come to Christ are coming to Christ. But notice how it closes in verse 7. And great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's the scripture's way of saying they received the gospel. They heard the news that they were sinners. That there was nothing that they could do in their own strength to be right with God. To be reconciled before the God who will punish all sins and infractions and iniquities. And, and they heard the news, the good news. Boys and girls, there's a word for that. Gospel, it means good news. They heard the gospel. The message that Christ, the eternal Son of God, put on their human nature and lived a perfect life. <laughs> Sometimes in their own city. Walked the same dusty streets. Dealt with the same difficult people, but he never sinned. He kept God's law perfectly. That this same Christ died on the cross, and as he died, he offered his life as an atonement. A substitutionary atonement for sinners. This is the news of Christianity. It's not be good. It's not morals save. It's not let's create a new class of people that are more organized and better at life. The news of Christianity is that we are all hell-bent sinners, but that Christ will save any and all who come to him because he can. He is the perfect law keeper, and he is the one who has blood spilt for the worst of sins. This is what he says, John six thirty-seven. Anyone who comes to me, I will not turn away. This is the one who bled and died for sinners. And so the priests are hearing this and they become, as the text says, obedient to it. They say, yes, we believe this. We rest on Christ, not just the news that he exists. We trust him for eternal salvation. And everything changes. The Spirit has given them life they hear this gospel news that they formerly rejected and they receive it and they say, my sins by this one have been atoned for. God, the eternal God, receives me through the blood of another sacrifice. These are priests. <laughs> they know about blood sacrifice. And they reject it all. Because as we heard our brother read this morning, there is a final sacrifice. And they cling to Christ by faith alone. Now I ask you, deacon or not, do you know the book of Acts or not? I ask you, are you obedient to the faith? Do you know that you need Christ and that he will have you? 
The glorious news is that through the book of Acts, this word spreads. It's the primary goal, really. And because of the unfolding movement of this word, there is a second office, the office of deacon, that Christ gives to his church. And as we see in this case, the early church was a thriving church. And there have been many thriving churches since. And humanly speaking, much of the thriving may be because deacons are set apart and they serve in such a way that the gospel goes forward. Let us pray. Living God, help your church. We have elders, we have deacons. We pray for more. Particularly as we look at your word today, we pray two things. We ask that each of us in the hearing of this word of Christ today would be obedient to the faith. We would be or now respond and become followers of Christ. But secondly, Lord, we pray that here in this church, this local outpost of the kingdom of Christ, that you would give us more deacons, help us to know the mind of Christ by your spirit here in this place, those full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.